the exact language was, if up the road, you are having suicidal thoughts, we have medically assisted in dying. We have the MAID program that we can offer you. So it's better than blowing your brains out against the wall, they told him. And there's an internal investigation. Well, that's pretty interesting because I'm the star witness and I've never been called. I've never been called by the RCMP and I've never been called by Veterans Affairs Canada uh, about this. The minister himself has never called me. The deputy minister has never called me. What kind of investigation are you having if you don't even want to have a conversation with the star witness? So imagine a veteran, someone who's fought and risked his life for your country, calling into the government agency set up to help vets with PTSD and other trauma from their service. Imagine that when that young man or woman traumatized by what they had to endure out of love for their service, their country, their nation, asked for help because he was depressed and was scared because his thoughts were turning to suicide. Now imagine for a moment that the government agent who took the call decides to offer the young man euthanasia instead of helping with the help he was wanting and needing. That incident actually did happen, and an investigation in Veterans Affairs Canada did verify that that had been going on for years. They tried, however, to suggest, oh, it was only one bad egg. In today's show, my guest is Mark Meinke. He's an Army veteran who has served in the Canadian Infantry, and he testified before the Committee on Veterans Affairs in Ottawa about medical assistance in dying and the current push for assisted suicide in the military. You've got to listen to this testimony that he gave. My name is Mark Meinke. I'm an Army veteran who served with the Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry. In 1994, I served as a UN peacekeeper during the genocide in Croatia. And for the record, it was not ethnic cleansing. I hate that word. It was a genocide. Ethnic cleansing is a euphemism. I was on rotation for Operation Harmony. As a result of my service and numerous incidents that happened during my tour, I was injured with PTSD, but of course in 1994 nobody had a clue what the heck that was. So I went undiagnosed for 23 years. You want to see a 23-year train wreck? I'll give you my biography. And that is the common story. I've run into veterans that are Vietnam and Korea veterans that are just now reaching out for help. People in their 70s and 80s that are just now reaching out for help. So when you make that first phone call, pardon me, when I made that first phone call, it was a thousand pound telephone. For some, other, some, some reason in my distraught mind, I decided to reach out to the Legion. Um, it just seemed like the reasonable place to go. And I got lucky. They took the ball and they ran with it. They were Johnny on the spot. Bing, bang, boom. I got a, vet, a veteran claim in. The very first thing I said is, I don't want any money. And I'm not saying that this injury, that th this problems I'm having are from my service. I'm not saying that because that's what we do. We say, no, it couldn't be me. I just know I need help and I know that I can't afford the help. So maybe you can help me. But I'm not saying it's from my service. It took me over two years to accept that what I was suffering through absolutely was a direct result of my service. Genocide has a funny way of doing that. I am, as part of my healing journey, I um, took 10 months before I actually could see a therapist, 10 months. So to fill that gap 
at uh, the OSI clinic, they did something called, um, it always escapes me. Anyway, they do something. And uh, it's a, it's a gap, stop gap measure, uh, measure that none of us like and uh, really has little to no value because of how it's operated. But it was something. It got me in the system and it got the ball rolling. And as I attended one of these, um, of the 10 week program or whatever it was, um, a, fella, a, a fellow veteran who runs peer support put his hand on my shoulder and said, let's talk. You should come off to peer support. I'm like, no, that's not for me, man. Peer support, what am I going to do, hold hands and sing kubaya? That's not me. But he convinced me, and I went, and it grew. Then I became a peer support facilitator a year later, and people would drive for two hours to be a part of that group. Really? One minute? Great. From that, it evolved into a podcast because I wanted to scale what I was doing to help more people, and now it's the largest in the world of its kind, where people... Uh, find help through my podcast, and get access to resources through my podcast. The veteran, as a result of that, that this is all about, came to me directly and gave me two recordings that were said on Wednesday to not exist. And they are in my possession, and they're on my phone. That, that, that caseworker did not inform him of services. That VAC caseworker not only offered made, it was unprompted, and it was pushed after two no's. You'd think two no's would do it. It did not. I have here the transcript, which of course, I cannot get a hold of the veteran because he was so distraught he left the country. Pardon me. So I will refer to the transcripts, which I made personally, to answer any and all of your questions assistance in dying or really euthanasia is slated to begin for the mentally ill in Canada in March and it was already floated in the province of in the province of Quebec for infants now what this push for euthanasia really boils down to, however, is the government has become completely utilitarian with no concern for the human person whatsoever. We were all numbers and not human beings. It was actually inevitable once we went down the road of abortion. But this utilitarianism can also be demonstrated. It's not just conjecture. Look, there was an October 2020 report titled, and I quote, Cost Estimate for Bill C-7, Medical Assistance in Dying, end quote. Now, the Canadian Parliamentary Budget Officer presented that report and it was because assisted suicide became legal on June 17, 2016. So this is the 2020 report. Canada's healthcare costs, he said, have dropped $86.9 million. Check out this chart that shows that. So I'm sure the push for medical assistance in dying, or MAID as it's known, is now easier to understand than ever. Why bother with end-of-life costs and healthcare when you can simply kill people through MAID? Let's not forget that this is exactly what Nazi Germany did under Hitler. The scourge of assisted suicide has been around for quite some time, but now it seems that it is taking on a new, even sacred connotation. The New York Times colonist Roth Duthat describes euthanasia in Canada, commenting that mass acceptance, and this is a quote right from Roth Duthat's article, mass acceptance of euthanasia probably won't replace the Christian prohibition on suicide with a libertarian or secular neutrality. 
Rather, he says, a society that encourages euthanasia will eventually tend to sacralize it, reaching for pre-Christian or post-Christian narratives in which the decision to kill oneself is not just permissible, but holy. And you know, we can already see this happening before our very eyes. The people pushing this agenda have argued that MAID can preserve human dignity. Somehow, this legitimate argument for human dignity, um, which is normally against assisted suicide, has been twisted around to support assisted suicide. So you can see this in an article by Richard Hananiah. He wrote the article on his newsletter on Substack, and it's titled, Canadian Euthanasia as Moral Progress. It was published on January 3rd, and this is a quote from it. Suicide is in many cases a noble and heroic act, and it should therefore have state sanction. For those who are suffering, it can be a gift to their families, and by allowing them to determine their ultimate destiny, give them a way to reassert control that they've lost in every other imaginable sense. We can be inspired at the end of a movie by a protagonist who kills himself once he has failed his mission, or continued existence harms those he loves, but never by a story that ends up with a hero being hooked up to machines, unable to take care of himself, and slowly deteriorating. If he can't do it himself, we understand and sympathize with a friend who carries it out. So this is pure utilitarianism, and it does reflect where we are as a society. Once you lose the thought of God or recognition of God in the afterlife, it's all you're living for. And then everything like this makes sense. Obviously, if there's a God, you're not going to choose your ultimate end. Your ultimate end is chosen by you in your works on earth, not from deciding to put yourself out of existence. There is no such thing. You don't put yourself out of existence. Only God does that. The very one who put you into existence, not by your own choice, by the way. So the appeal of this approach seems to be to release people from suffering. And that's the point everyone fails to notice. Made medical assistance in dying does not end suffering. It ends the sufferer. It does not alleviate pain. It eliminates the person experiencing the pain. Author Leon Cass, in his article called Dehumanization Triumphant, made this point. He said, the manufacturer of a right to die as a gift to those not dying fast enough, is in fact the state's abdication of its duty to protect innocent life and its abandonment, especially of the old, the weak, and the poor. Cass also added that from a medical perspective, the venerable Hippocratic Oath clearly rules out physician-assisted suicide, and this medical ethic has been around for over two millennia. Clearly, the cultural approach to assisted suicide is changing as ethics are changing. And now, as long as an action can be rationalized in some way, it seems that anything theoretically possible can be ethical. This points to everything that Alex Schadenberg, the executive director of the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition, said when he was on my show last month. Take a look. Every step along the path, you create new precedent. It's okay to kill. It's okay to kill for that reason. It's okay to kill for this reason. If it's okay to kill the infant, then why wouldn't it be okay to kill the 87-year-old with dementia? You've eliminated the reasons why it's not okay. If you're going to say it's okay to kill somebody, now the question is, well, who do we kill and under what rules? But anytime you have any rules which would say, well, you really can't do it in that circumstance, well, then the question is, well, why not? 
Health Canada's third annual report on medical assistance in dying in Canada indicates that the number of assisted deaths in Canada has increased by 32.4%, representing 3.3% of all deaths in 2021. When all data sources are considered, the total number of euthanasia or made reported deaths in Canada from legalization to December 31st, 2021 is 31,664. You can read this in an article by Alex Schadenberg over at LifeSite, and you'll find that in the links below. But also, a civilization that promotes death as a solution to its problems is truly a sick civilization that will soon crumble and decay. We've seen abortion become more and more a sacrament to the left, even after the overturning of Roe v. Wade in the United States. And now it's become clear that assisted suicide is an extension of this sacrament. And we need to do everything we can to fight against this poisonous inversion of human dignity. My guest today is an example of how each of us must have the courage to testify against this great evil of assisted suicide. This is The John Henry Weston Show. Stay tuned. Mark Meineke, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, brother. Appreciate it. Let's begin as we always do at the side of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So, Mark, um, I think in the, in the first clip we saw a uh, little bit of you in action describing the MAID, as it's called here. It's the Medical Assistant in Dying. Uh, just a horrific story. But before we get there, let's learn a little bit about yourself. Who is Mark Meinke? Well, I'm an Army veteran. That's how I got into this whole thing of podcasting. Uh, it's um, Operation Tangaromi is a trauma recovery podcast. Uh, I was diagnosed in 2017 with PTSD because of my service. I was in um, a UN peacekeeper in Croatia in 1994. I was <laughs> right in the middle of it uh, in, in all the hot spots. And unbeknownst to me, I was injured with uh, post-traumatic stress injury, but uh, didn't know. So this journey started in about 2017. And since then, uh, the show was created. It's a 270 episodes now uh, plus, and it is there as a resource for veterans, first responders, and their families. And uh, then I've fallen into advocacy, which is how I got on your radar and didn't expect to, but now I'm in the advocacy sphere. It just fell into my lap. And, and, and that's what I've been really busy with <laughs> the last few months. It was astonishing what you pointed out. And I think a lot of people Whereas, you know, we've been talking for years about euthanasia in the public perception or how it was sold to the public anyway. It's only for those who are so extremely ill, they're dying anyway. They're in such extreme pain. There's no way out. We've got to have mercy and just let them go. And yet, on the other hand, we learned that, wait a minute, they've been restricting and not doing as much as they could on painkillers, on pa methods of pain relief and just not affording that to Canadians, even to veterans, and yet they're offering them euthanasia, they're offering them this medical-assisted aid in dying? Really? So tell us how you learned about it and what happened. Well, just to put a, a cherry on that, what it actually is is state-sponsored homicide. It's eradication of our most vulnerable 
That's what it is. State-sponsored eradication of our most vulnerable people wrapped up as compassion. So I didn't even know about the MAID program uh, until about August of last year when a veteran came to me because of my show and uh, sent me an audio file that he had recorded of a phone call. This phone call was an apology call from Veterans Affairs Canada to him. And when I listened to it, I, I had to listen to it twice, uh, about a 12-minute phone call. I couldn't believe it. This was a, them apologizing to him for offering him, offering to kill him. With, when he, That's not what he was asking for. He was asking for help for a traumatic brain injury, like so, like concussion injury. He's like, hey, I... You know, I'm having trouble finding resources for this. What do you got? I'd really like to get some help, please. And uh, they said, well, we don't know about help, but uh, if up the road you're starting to get some suicidal thoughts, just let us know. Give us a call and we'll help you out with that. Well, what do you mean? Well, we, well, we got this MAID program. We can kill you. So it's better than blowing your brains out against the wall, they told him. You're speaking hyperbolically, right? They didn't actually use that exact language, did they? The exact language was... If up the road, you are having suicidal thoughts, we have medically assisted in dying. We have the MAID program that we can offer you. This is mind-blowing. So these are men and women who have already given of themselves to the country to defend our nation, and they're being offered not help, but death. So it wasn't even that they could find a program for to help them. What they could help them with was to help them die. That's it. And it was exemplified... <laughs> When uh, another committee was uh, held in front of the veterans, uh, um, the standing committee of veterans affairs in Ottawa, I testified at one about this topic, uh, and then another veteran was was testifying about the deliverables, about the quality of service offered by Veterans Affairs Canada. And a friend of mine, who is also one of the witnesses, Bruce Moncour, brought up the topic of MAID because of the work that I'd been doing. And she put up her hand and says, hey, 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 I got something to say about that. Oh, what is it, Christine? What's what's up? Well, I was offered made too. And everybody lost their mind. Um, it, it was really quite the shocker because the first person that came forward to me that I testified about in Ottawa, he is staying under the radar. He's not allowing his name to come out. I've kept it quiet. Uh, I haven't told anybody his name. I've respected his wishes. Uh, still wish he would, but uh, so there might be the question there is like, Hey, is this Mark Mankey guy? Is he, is he making it up? Is he trying to get some publicity for his show? And then Christine Goche, who I had never met uh, at the time has also come forward. And they're not the only ones. Uh, the original line when this broke on global news originally was, oh, there's only been four, uh, there's only been one veteran and one caseworker, and that's it. Isolated incident, they said. And they swore on it in testimony. Uh, they were, uh, yeah, we're, we're not going to finish the investigation yet, but we promise on a stack of Bibles that it was just one veteran and one caseworker. Well, the day before one of the, um, uh, I think it was the third meeting of the standing committee, somebody came to me the night before. And uh, he, unfortunately, also, also not using his real name. He goes under the pseudonym Bruce. And I was able to convince Bruce to tell, to tell his story on my show. So it's a quick little 10 or 12 minute one. And uh, Bruce tells the same story. He called asking for help for PTSD. 
uh, and he's an active duty member who's now who is in the releasing process and in the middle of asking for help the same thing so hey you know uh, we we had this court case that gave us the ability to offer made so if it gets to that you know just let us know and 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 we can offer you made and he had to say like what are you talking about i'm not calling to ask for you to kill me i'm asking for help i want help not death and I'm like what are you talking about mark would you mind if we just played a little clip of that please are you willing to share what type of services you were looking for? Yeah. So, um, I had, uh, been suffering from PTSD and I, uh, recently had a lot of, uh, um, suicidal thoughts. And so when I, uh, when I was getting a call from them, I was kind of hoping that they would, uh, uh, help me, you know, with, uh, my transition out of the military, uh, help me find, um, new doctors once I get out and, uh, you know, help me uh, and assist me with any other kind of uh, uh, claims I might have. I wasn't expecting them to uh, uh, let me know that, hey, we had recently, you know, uh, won litigation to assist a member with uh, MAID. And, you know, that's always an option. I was taken aback and I thought it was uh, quite strange. So, uh, you know, I mentioned it to my uh, case manager, but uh, I, I was a little disturbed that, you know, if they had mentioned that to somebody else, that was even worse off than I was, you know, that could have been that little bit to push them over the edge. Mark, if you could then comment on what uh, Bruce just said there and, uh, you know, where did you go with him? And, and of course, we want to encourage people to watch or listen to the whole show. Um, and by the way, your podcast name again is? Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. Very good. So they'll be able to go there. How will they find that specific podcast, Bruce? That was episode 258 with Bruce. And when that came out, I, <laughs> I got moving. And I, I took that episode and I published it immediately, made it public, and then I sent it to all the different members of Parliament that I have um, communication with, that I have relationships with, including the uh, co-chair of the Standing Committee of Veterans Affairs, who's a friend of mine. So they all had it. Uh, and then the very next morning, wouldn't you know, the, as a direct result of Bruce coming out and, and telling a story on my show, the Minister of Veterans Affairs, uh, Lawrence McCauley, comes out and changes his story with a press release. It says, okay, so uh, because of our investigation, not because of my show, but uh, because of our investigation, uh, we have now found that there are four uh, veterans was his count that he would admit to four different veterans have been offered medically assistant to dying, but it's only one caseworker. We promise this time we're not lying. The other times we were definitely lying, but this time we're not lying. It's it's the truth. This time you can trust us. We're, we're politicians. You can trust us. When he said those words, he knew full well that veteran number one was in British Columbia. Therefore they had a British Columbia caseworker. That's how the system works. Um, a Bruce that came out is from Ontario. So they had an Ontario caseworker. So that's a minimum of two caseworkers. And when Christine Gauthier uh, testified, what they said, like, it was just too much for them. And, but that shows at least three caseworkers because she's in Quebec. And uh, so they just denied that what even happened. Yeah. This Paralympian who, 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 
competed in the Invictus Games and the and the Paralympics, who the Veterans Affairs has been using as a poster girl. Oh, she's she's just a big fat liar. You know, uh, we found no evidence supporting her claim. Well, how about the fact that she said it? Uh, I'm I'm not going to call her a liar. I'm I'm going to say I believe you because why the heck would she lie about something like that? And um, uh, but that's that's where they're at. It's deny, deny until they die. It's pretty standard for Veterans Affairs. Now, have they said that the caseworkers in questions have in question have been fired, or have they been disciplined, or what's gone on there? They're only admitting to one, right? And uh, so I, I know her name. I won't say it uh, for her own protection. I, I know her first name anyway. She got to keep her job for quite some time and only because of a ridiculous amount of pressure and every major publication was covering this. Um, she Now they are saying that she's fired. But they're also saying a lot of other things. They're saying that there's an investigation that has been referred to the RCMP and there's an internal investigation. Well, that's pretty interesting because I'm the star witness. And I've never been called. I've never been called by the RCMP and I've never been called by Veterans Affairs Canada uh, about this. The minister himself has never called me. The deputy minister has never called me. What kind of investigation are you having if you don't even want to have a conversation with a star witness? Interesting. Very interesting indeed. They've pushed out euthanasia under this new terminology, medical... um, Medically assisted aid in dying, I think is the proper terminology. Medical assistance in dying, yeah. They obviously feel they haven't yet done a good enough job on the public to try and convince them that this is the way to go. Uh, But they seem firmly committed to it nonetheless. I mean, they are all in on this uh, MAID program. So when it originally came out, they it it didn't sound like such a bad idea. Uh, It was only for those that were going to die anyway. You know, um, their, their number was up. But, you know, why suffer? Okay, that seems reasonable. Or people that had just unbearable pain and it was untreatable. Well, okay, fair enough. You know, I could get down with that. Um, But the slippery slope started immediately. And since it it originally came into play, uh, now it has gone so far, they are pushing it uh, as far as 12-year-olds. So they want 12-year-olds to be able to, to access it and 16-year-olds without parental consent. And I was just told this morning, and this part I don't have uh, verification of, but I was told this morning that a 17-year-old did it. There's a dead 17-year-old without parental consent. The parents got the phone call a couple of days later. Um, I That one isn't verified yet, but either way, that's what they're pushing for. So could you imagine, you're, you see your 16-year-old uh, get on the bus, go to school, and then you see the bus later in the day and your kid doesn't get off the bus. Where's my kid? And then you're in a wild panic calling everybody and calling the neighbors and calling police. Where's my kid? Where's my kid? My kid's missing just to get a phone call from somebody to say, Oh, well we killed him and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. They had a bad day and, and made a permanent decision on about a temporary problem and they're dead. We killed him. Government sanctioned, nothing you can do about it. Just a quick note before we return. If you would like to stay up to date on LifeSite's coverage of the latest life, family, and culture news, subscribe to one of our many newsletters by going to lifesitenews.com slash subscribe. And if you'd like to help us bring our truth-telling coverage to millions around the world, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation at give.lifesitenews.com. And now, back to the video. 
few weeks ago, I had on my program Alex Schadenberg. I don't know if you've spoken to him ever, but he's the head of the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition. It was very interesting because he and I had a conversation about a decade ago, and it was with regard to the coming onslaught of euthanasia. And it was all an economic question. The, you could see the trajectory. We are spending ourselves to death. We have a huge liability in terms of the need to pay old age pension, and everybody gets their you know, medical costs explode at the end of life. And yet we have so few children being born to take up that burden. So the working population is dying out, the elderly population getting older, we're going to have to have some corrective. The natural thought was euthanasia. So we had a little bet that it would be legalized within five years. It was, but it was unreal because it was all utilitarian, but it's always sold as if it's compassion and it's all wonderful. And it's not in so many ways, because we saw right away that they were snuffing out proper pain relief opportunities. One was the pufferfish that had these incredible properties of um, being able to eliminate pain. Imagine that for the sufferers. But that kind of thing goes nowhere. And yet in comes euthanasia with, here, we'll do this for you. Because it's so cheap to give someone a quick shot to end their lives rather than actually treat them. It's unreal. Everything's a profit model. And people have a hard time believing that some of the people that are at the top, medical doctors and um, bureaucrats, could possibly be psychopaths and sociopaths. That's just too much for people to believe. Because they think that there's a Disney cartoon version (laughs) rigging their hands. And and that's what a psychopath looks like. But it's not. Psychopaths and sociopaths are charming. They can pretend to be kind and caring. uh, Very, very likable. But the truth is they don't actually care about you. They see things in a very methodical, utilitarian way. They're very Machiavellian. And... It's hard, like, because when you like somebody, when you look at somebody and you respect them and you go, oh, they seem really nice. Once you've made that emotional attachment, uh, seeing them in any other way is so difficult. But the truth is that people that desperately want power, the careerism type of people, they tend to have sociopathic tendencies and they climb to the top. A great uh, majority of CEOs of major corporations are sociopaths and psychopaths. Uh, this is true. And, um, but they come across so nice, like the ice cream man, <laughs> you know, like Bill Gates, clearly a sociopath. Um, but he's so nice. He has that nice little smile and, uh, and he dresses like Mr. Rogers. So he's got to be a nice guy, right? Nope. He's a sociopath and he doesn't care about you even one tiny little bit. These people being at the top, are, are the same ones that don't look at me and you like people. We're numbers. We're useless eaters. And that's all we are. So burden on society is the, and the greater good are the arguments to dispense with humanity and kindness and empathy, dispense with all of that and just look at the numbers. And the way they're seeing it is that there's too many people on the planet we got to do something about it. Hey, how about all these useless people? How about the weak? How about the vulnerable? 
Let's get rid of them. Let's get rid of the homeless and everybody else. We've lost so much of our moral compass as a society that we can't even see how horrific this is. Even the Nazis backed off of this. Uh, when, when the Nazis were going to be clearing out the old age homes and, uh, and, and whatnot, which they did with the mental health asylums and whatnot, but when they wanted to clear out the old age homes, um, the German people said, whoa, 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 that's a bridge too far. And they backed off. So this is too far for even the Nazis. But here we are in Canada going, hey, that's a good idea. That's a great way to do a budget cut, you know, it's a, for the greater good. It's something really startling about the day and age we're living in. Because I think, Mark, most people, when they hear you say, oh, come on, who would talk about useless eaters? But believe it or not, we've had Yuval Noah Harari, one of the great lights of the World Economic Forum. Just say that very openly. Let's have a look what to do with all these useless people. The problem is more uh, boredom and how, what to do with them and how will they find some sense of meaning in life when they are basically meaningless, worthless. My best guess at present is a combination of drugs and computer games as a, a solution for more. It's already happening. Mark, you know, after that, drugs and video games... What he doesn't say is maybe where the Canadians seem to be at already, or at least the Canadian government or those in power are, um, he might be, why, why drugs and video games? We can use euthanasia, killing them off, made. This wonderful system uh, that we pretend is compassion is just knocking people up. Every environmental book that you read, I read uh, David Suzuki and Anita Gordon wrote a book published, I think it was 1988, and I read it then, and I just reread it uh, uh, one more time to see if any of those predictions came true. Well, the number one issue above and beyond everything else was population. Their models, uh, and actually their models uh, have were right on, like way back in 1988, because um, I, I cross-referenced like, oh man, that was pretty close. So they were right about the models uh, up until this point. Uh, however, the models now show that we're actually going to have a popula population collapse, that um, China, China's one-child policy, all these different things, people in Canada and, and the States are only re reproducing at 1.8, and we need to be at 2.2 to be sustainable. Population collapse is likely coming, as Elon Musk was saying the same thing. Uh, but they <laughs> say, well, let's help that along by um, uh, doing everything that they can to thin out the population because they believe that that is the number one issue in the world. As a matter of fact, I've heard um, uh, now King uh, Charles, he was Prince Charles at the time, saying exactly the same thing. And this is one of the things said at the World Economic Forum and many other um, forums as well, well, where this is the number one issue is population. So it's difficult to believe that all the um, uh, people at the top of society, or at least they think they are, um, who have been talking about population being the number one problem for decades now, uh, aren't doing anything about it. Of course, they're doing something about it. And we're seeing it now. It's amazing that you mentioned Bill Gates as someone who's a sociopath, because there's a very famous video, which I'm sure you've seen. In fact, we'll play a clip of it now. 
Do you remember he's talking about the CO2 and the way to bring that down? And he mentions vaccines along with lowering the world's population. And then you had this play out and people pointed that and said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. He can't be talking about that at the same time. You can't mean that. But then it is Bill Gates. And we've seen the most dastardly things with absolute lying and then lying again a little while later. It's like these folks don't care what they say because even if they say the exact opposite thing, and we have the video to be able to show the before and the after, it doesn't seem to matter. Now, the world today has 6.8 billion people. That's headed up to about 9 billion. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, health care, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. No, facts don't matter anymore. Right now in the UK, there's uh, up to 2,000 excess deaths a week. A week! You know, they can see on the charts and the historical data what the amount of deaths every week should be. And there's excess 2,000 a week, according to their data. According to American military data, and that's some pretty good data about the health of the troops, Cancer rates are up by over 300%. Neurological injuries are up by 1,000%. What date ranges are we talking here? In how long? Well, it all started somewhere around uh, 2020. It, it all, all these different things started to spike around 2020, 2021. So is there a correlation there? Who knows? And that's the thing. People are unwilling to talk about this. We right now are seeing you know, this glut of sudden deaths from nowhere. And they, and now there's a new, <laughs> there's a new uh, thing. Like there was SIDS before, now there's sudden adult death syndrome. Lisa Marie Presley just died. Heart attack, just like everybody else is going. 53 years old. That's only, I'm almost 53. I'll be 53 in May. You know, um, that is not normal for 53-year-olds to have heart attacks. We just had uh, in Calgary here, we just had a uh, 12-year-old child have a stroke on a bus. Uh, You look like a similar age to me. This has never happened. Prior to to 2019, this never, ever, ever, ever happens. Children do not have strokes and heart attacks. And yet on the side of buses now, hey, children have strokes and heart attacks too. What is with the propaganda? Why? <laughs> but the gaslighting is absolutely incredible. It is amazing. The, the propaganda feature is, is truly amazing. We've watched it roll out in the most extreme way. When they first came up with it, I almost thought it was a joke. I saw one of those commercials early. There's, you know, a little kid jogging and then grabbing his heart. Going, oh, and that was the tagline, you know, uh, young people have heart attacks too. And you're like... Come on, that's a joke. How is this a public service announcement? Like, who does this serve? Even if it was true, even if it was true. But how is this the first time in our lives that we've ever heard a message like this? Mm-hmm. You've watched the rollout, both of the of the vaccines and of the the whole COVID narrative and the whole masking. Where were you on all that? Did you sort of see the light early, later? Where were you on it? Oh, I was scared out of my mind, just like everybody else in the beginning. Uh, if you remember... In the beginning, uh, they figured the death rate was going to be somewhere around 3%. Uh, Well, that's some pretty easy math to do. And I thought, oh, my God, if everybody's going to get this eventually and the death rate is at 3%, this is like, this is going to end society. This is something else. 
And of course, uh, the death rate wasn't at 3%. It's uh, roughly the same as uh, your average flu year. And then I actually started pulling my own numbers right from the government websites. I went to the government of Alberta and I looked at the flu deaths, uh, historical data over the last six years. And, and I looked at everything, everything I could find about every claim that was made on the news and it didn't jive with the official government data. So they didn't even have the for they didn't even bother to change the government data, you know? So, and I, and I published it. And of course, people would push back. Oh, you're misinterpreting the numbers. They're not my numbers. These, <laughs> these are. This is the government data, and uh, there are there's no excess deaths from from COVID. There just wasn't. And um, but there's excess deaths now. I understand the correlation doesn't e- equal causation because if it did, ice cream sales in Florida would correlate with the shark attacks. You know, as ice cream sales go up, so do the shark attacks. Well, yes, that's true. It's because there's more shark attacks in warm weather and there's more ice cream sales in, in warm weather. There's, there's, there's no other correlation there. So correlation doesn't equal causation. But um, when things that have happened, like sudden adult death syndrome, uh, that is not a syndrome. There's something that has changed. We have to figure out what it is that has changed and address it like adults put on our big boy <laughs> pants and, uh, and look at this, honestly. Honesty is the thing that's lacking. Why are they not revealing the vaccination status of all these young people dying? It's always hidden. It's scrubbed by Google and Facebook. You're not allowed to look at it. You're never allowed to mention it. It's obviously cover up, but you're not allowed to say it. In fact, this part of our interview can't be on YouTube because it'll be scrubbed. We thankfully have alternative media, so we'll air half this interview on YouTube and the other half not, because we just can't. We had a huge channel um, that was actually deleted completely. We had, um, at the time we were growing massively, this was two years ago now, we had 315,000 subscribers and uh, YouTube killed our channel, like took everything off, thousands of videos gone and all of our audience just gone, forget it. Well, that's why I have to be so careful. Uh, my mission is to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. If I talk about these things on my show, I'm in deep trouble because my mission and vision could be hurt. So I stay within my scope because uh, other people that are more educated and, and more qualified can, are not only doing it, they're doing it better than I ever could. So I leave it alone for the most part. I would love to get your opinion, though, as a veteran, someone who has risked your own life for our country, what are your thoughts on watching this play out from the leadership in Canada? I was not aware until the last couple of years of how rare courage is. I didn't know. But these big reactions that we see from people, whether it's um, people that are still wearing their masks that don't work, by the way. That's the science. The fear-based decisions. When emotion is high, rationale is low. And the amount of people who simply have no courage is the vast, vast majority. And I wasn't aware of that before. Um, in the Canadian National Anthem, the word free is said twice. In the American National Anthem, the word free is said once. Uh, I'm hoping that for now on, whenever the Canadian or American national anthems are sang at a sports event, that the word free is screamed 
above and beyond all the, the other words, because that's the whole reason we are told to put on the uniform and put ourselves in, in harm's ways for the freedom of others. And yet our freedoms here at home are evaporating and you are mocked and criticized and chastised if, if you even point it out, much less complain about it. It's a betrayal. It's a, it's a betrayal of all the sacrifice that, uh, of everybody who's ever served. Uh, not everybody who serves sees it that way, but that's, that's how I see it. How are you able to help people on this front or do you, do you point them to things or, you know, because this is so difficult to get this message out. I know a lot of opinions are really entrenched sometimes, but there are breakthrough points, particularly when the family recognizes a reaction to the shot that, that, you know, doctors are telling him, no, no, it has nothing to do with that. But the family correlates it and goes, wait a minute, totally fine. Got the shot. Lots of problems right away. Hello, hello. You know, um, but, but they're being gaslit too, but nonetheless. Um, what's your best shot at that? Because of the scope of my show, I stay on mental health issues and resources. That's where I, I keep my focus. Staying in line with that, the best way I've been able to contribute to the conversation is showing people how to have powerful, effective conversations that are persuasive. And that is done by keeping your emotions in check, because when emotion is high, rational is low. It is done by not calling anybody names, by not insulting anybody, by not needing to be right. Take your need to be right, your, your ego, set it aside, stay on the facts. And I do this, um, and I, I, I teach this again and again on the show uh, through two, with two basic concepts. One is Graham's hierarchy of arguments. If you look at that cute little pyramid that you can easily find on Google Images, at the top is sticking to the central point, and at the bottom is uh, name-calling. And everything is name-calling, ad hominem attacks, character attacks. Uh, none of that should ever be engaged with, ever, because it doesn't work. All you're doing is creating more and more division. You're not bringing anybody onto your side. You're only preaching to the choir. And that doesn't change hearts and uh, the second is your emotional ego state while you're having a conversation. If you can stay in adult mode and not switch into critical parent or child mode, um, that is the only way to be effective. And I've actually had trolls, like, I mean, horrible name calling trolls. And I've had them not only apologize to me, but turn into advocates on my behalf. So people can be turned around if you treat them with respect. Because when you treat others with respect, even though they're horribly disrespecting you, that teaches them how to communicate with respect through by leading through example. And I've experienced it more than once where uh, people who behaved horrifically, very trollishly on social media have realized, oh, this is really gross. What I just did, what I just said, that's really gross. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Um, I, I just got carried away in the moment and they turn into friends and advocates. Wow. Well, that's really hopeful because I think after, you know, you taking this up with people, they are receiving all their information from the mainstream media, even relatives. I mean, that's, you know, that's what a lot of us are dealing with. A lot of us are dealing with actual relatives who are getting all their talking points and their facts, if you will, from CNN and they lose it. They 
regard you as, you know, you've lost your mind because you're not spouting the same narrative. And it's like, it's become a new gospel. It's very much like a new religion. That's the problem with tribalism. That's why I don't pick teams anymore. Um, at, at one point, I was a member of the Canadian Socialists. I was a member of the New Democrat Party because it seemed like I liked Jack Layton at the time and uh, I liked what they had to say. So I went that way. Um, but when they went into crazy land, I went, wait a second. I didn't stick with that team because that team didn't stick with me. And uh, now I'm leaning towards uh, the the conservative party, but I'm not their indentured servant. <laughs> I, you know, if, if, if they uh, start going bonkers as well, I'm not going to stick with them because sometimes your team gets it wrong. And if you are just loyal to team blindly, no matter what, uh, like we are with our hockey teams, um, that is that doesn't work very well in politics because parties change. The Liberal Party of today is not the thoughtful, reasonable party of John Krejcian back in the 90s. I voted for John Krejcian way back in the 90s. I still like the guy. He was a reasonable guy. You know, and Paul Martin, I like that guy too. Um, but that is not what they are today. So you can't pick teams in politics. You have to stick with your morals, your ethics, and um, those don't let those shift. Let them develop and grow and blossom, but don't let them shift. And that then that will be your true north. And when you see uh, the the teams that you thought you were a part of, they shift away from from you. Then you got to make other choices. But don't don't pick your political team and believe be blindly loyal to them. Evaluate them all. And at a different point in time, um, you, you might find yourself voting for the liberals again, or because it, it depends on what are they actually doing? What's their track record? What's their ethos? And can I trust them? And uh, right now that's, that's why I'm with the conservative party because it's the best bet that we have by far uh, from, from my perspective. Mark, thank you. That was a, a neat journey. Any closing thoughts for us? Just be kind. Be kind simply because you can. Don't call anybody names. Look at uh, Graham's hierarchy of arguments and and try to learn it. Uh, look up transactional analysis. Try to learn how to stay in your adult ego state. It's not easy and everybody fails at it on a regular basis. Just try to fail less often. And um, that's the only way is with respect and love and compassion if you want to bring in somebody to your way of thinking. Thank you for that, Mark Meineke. Good to be with you. God bless you. Thanks, brother. You as well. And God bless all of you. We'll see you next time. Hi, everyone. This is John Henry Weston. We hope you enjoyed this program. To see more like it, be sure to hit the subscribe button below to get all the latest content from LifeSite News. Check the links in the description to read more and connect with us on social media so that you can stay up to date with all the latest life, family, faith, and freedom news. Thanks for watching, and may God bless you.